Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. We're going to look at all of John chapter 9 this morning. For us, we've been going through a chronological journey through the Gospels, taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I'm trying to mesh them together in the chronological order. I am sure that I haven't got everything Correct. It's hard to put everything together. In fact, uh, we are in John, Has we have been in John uh, last week as well. We will be next week as well because John kind of fits in this in-between section that he tells us about beginning in John chapter 7, verse 2, where he refers to the Feast of Tabernacles. And then in John chapter 10, verse 22, he refers to the Feast of Dedication. We know the Feast of Dedication today is Hanukkah. And so it's really giving us a timeline from six to eight months. If we go back to John chapter 7, verse 2, six to eight months before the death of Jesus upon the cross. So we're coming toward the end of Jesus's ministry And John has this little section that's not found in the other Gospels. And so it's an appropriate place to put it. But also we will, after John, we'll go over to Luke and look at a few things that Luke shared that the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, did not share. And so we'll pick up a few things from Luke, and then we'll get back into really the chronological putting everything together in that final few months before Jesus goes to the cross. But today, here in John chapter 9, we have the accounts of Jesus giving sight to a blind man who had been blind from birth. And in John 20, 30 and 31, John would write, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, you read through the Gospel of John, you discover that he liked to use the number seven in his Gospel writings. And he has given us the miracles that he gave us, seven of them. This is number six the healing of a man who had been blind from birth. So he said, truly, Jesus did many other signs. But John specifically selected seven signs to share with us in his gospel. And in John chapter 9, he, for us, I mean, he wasn't writing chapters when he put it together, but we have 41 verses where he deals. He really lengthens out everything that goes, that went on, surrounding the healing of this man who had been born blind. 
So I titled today's message, One Thing I Know. We're going to be looking at John chapter 9. I have three points, verses 1 through 12, blind from birth, 13 through 34, a formerly blind man, and 35 through 41, belief or unbelief. So blind from birth, I want to begin. I tell you, I saw this now twice in my notes. I got to correct this. But that second point, I corrected one of them. I had written, I, I said it correctly, a formerly blind man. But in my notes, I wrote a formerly man. Now, we say that today. It means something entirely different. So I got to get that corrected in my notes. Jesus was not dealing with that. Uh, topic, but I saw today that the uh, G, uh, AI chat was dealing with the topic of transgenderism, um, and you can read that if you want, just making up scripture, something that Jesus would say to someone who was dealing with transgenderism and trying to find acceptance and what the computer said that Jesus would say, and I guess it really blew up social media. Um, so we need to know our word because that is not what the word of God says. We need to know the word because we live in a day and age where false narratives can be put out there. And the only way that you can battle the false is by knowing the truth. So beware. But anyways, I'm going to correct this in my notes. Um, but I had to tell you that because... I corrected one of them, and I found it again. So I'll have to be thorough. So if I mess up going through, it means that there's more than two that were ended up in my notes of saying that. But we're going to begin in verses 1 through 12, blind from birth, looking at verses 1 and 5. And I'll read the context for us from God's Word, John chapter 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must also work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Jewish tradition taught that physical disabilities came as a result of sin. And it gives us a clue of this in the question of the disciples to Jesus. And really the extreme thought behind this, what tradition taught them, as they asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So what they were saying in Jewish tradition, they believed that there could be prenatal sin, that while the baby is in the womb, a baby could commit sin that would cause him to be born with a birth defect. That's what they believed. And while it is true that all sickness and death came as a result of the fall, it is not true that all physical disabilities come upon people because of sin. We live in a fallen world, and because we live in a fallen world, um, we, as each generation goes by since the creation, we come 
further and further away from the perfect man, Adam and Eve, before the fall, as they were created in the garden. And we've been far removed from that. So in this life, people will have disabilities. Yet in this situation, Jesus' answer was that it was neither the child nor the parents who had sinned, but he said in verse 3 that the works of God should be revealed in him. There's a purpose behind this, that God's works should be revealed in him. Very similar, when Lazarus died, he had a sickness that would be unto death, and yet he would live as we know. But in John 11:4, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, that was very early on when Jesus and the disciples heard that Lazarus was sick. And the disciples were confused why Jesus didn't immediately go uh, to his friend, to the families there who were Mary and Martha. And he said, it's not unto death. He would die, but God was going to do a work. Jesus knew he was going to bring him back. So while every parent prays for a healthy baby, God can use our disabilities for his glory. So the night is coming, verse 4, he says. So a day and night reference here, really speaking about the limited time before his crucifixion, that while Jesus was still upon the earth in his earthly ministry, his light would continue to shine forth through his life, through his teaching, through his miracles. And the greatest of these miracles, these signs, would be the resurrection from the grave. It was after that Jesus, they brought the woman who was caught in adultery to him, and no one condemned the woman of the crowd there. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And Jesus said to the woman, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And immediately he followed with these words. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We're just saying that little portion of scripture as a chorus. And now he repeats it in verse 5 of chapter 9. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. This has caused many of the uh, Bible scholars to believe that we should not disconnect John 8 from John 9 because we actually have contextually themes running together in these two chapters tying together one of them Jesus being the light of the world as he said in John 8:12 and also in John 9:5 but the night was coming a reference to his death but until he would be put on the cross his earthly ministry until his ministry was finished he was the light of those who found themselves in spiritual darkness. And for the man who had been born blind, Jesus would bring the light of life to his physical eyes. Now today we know that Jesus continues to be the light of the world, who all who place their hope in him. So verses 6 through 7, we find a step of faith. 6 through 7 of John 9. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva 
And he anointed the eyes of the man, the blind man with clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Salome, or Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and washed and came back seen. In the Gospels, we learn of Jesus healing the blind before. We never read of Jesus at this point healing a man who had been born blind from birth. And that'll even be pointed out later on in our text. But also, Jesus may have healed people with similar disabilities. He didn't necessarily always heal them with the same method. This is the only place we read about Jesus taking his spittle and uh, making some clay and putting it on the eyes of the blind man and sending him uh, to the pool that he could wash his eyes and be made whole. And so, though people may have similar disabilities or illnesses, Jesus would often use different methods in healing them. And perhaps it's because Jesus knows the needs that we have. I believe Jesus, though he is Savior of the world and Ultimately, he brings salvation, the same salvation to each of us. He'll work differently in our lives because he knows the needs that we have as individuals. In Philippians 2.13, it tells us, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is working. He works in each of our lives. He knows our specific needs that we have. And so sometimes he works differently and oftentimes in similar ways. For the man, Jesus spat on the ground. He made some clay. He anointed his eyes. He told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And that word, John tells us, meaning sent. And so he commanded him to go to a specific place. And then he would be made whole. The man was obedient. That's why... I titled this little section, A Step of Faith. See, I believe personally that it was important for this blind man to do exactly what Jesus commanded him to do. He could have washed just any old place, but the Lord had a specific place in mind. The pool of Siloam was a very important pool that actually has a ties back to the days of Hezekiah that was... Uh, something that King Hezekiah had when they were being surrounded by the Assyrians and they needed to bring water into Jerusalem. They dug this, what is called Hezekiah's tunnel to this day. They've discovered the tunnel in Israel. I've never been in a tour group to go through the tunnel, but there are tour groups that will take you through the tunnel that they dug from outside the walls of Jerusalem to bring water into Jerusalem that if their city was besieged, closed in upon by the enemy, that they would have fresh water supply. But it was also important because it became a tradition for the priest on the Feast of Tabernacles to daily draw water from the Pool of Siloam and to recite these words from Isaiah 12:3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would pour the water over the altar and it would run down the steps of the altar. And many believe that this is when Jesus, on the last day of the great feast, in John 7, 37 and 38, stood and cried out and said, if anyone thirsts, 
Let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So clearly the pool of Siloam had significance for the children of Israel. And possibly, uh, tradition says that they drew the water from the pool of Siloam on the day of the uh, Feast of Tabernacle. And if that is connected with Jesus crying out about the living water, he's connecting this water and now connecting the water again with the blind man, not saying that the water from the pool was the living water, but showing that he is the living water. So it was important, I believe, that it was important for the blind man to do exactly what Jesus instructed him to do. For some of us, if somebody takes some clay and spit on the ground, make some clay, put it on our body, we would like say, ick, you know, grab our shirt or sleeve, wipe it off. Get this off me, that's gross. Don't you know there's pandemics and diseases around here? We don't want that. But I think it was a specific thing. And we can tie this back to Second Kings chapter 5, when Naaman, who was the commander of the Syrian army, had leprosy, and one of the slave girls in his household was Jewish and had told her mistress that uh, there is a prophet in Israel that could heal your husband. And so word got around that Elijah was there in Israel. And so the king wrote a letter, sent Naaman to the king of Israel at the time and said, we hear that there's a prophet who can hear, heal uh, my commander of leprosy. And there was a little bit of uh, argument between the two, but catching us up on the story, ultimately Naaman stood before the house of Elijah. Elijah didn't even come out his door. See, we can have these expectations, and this man had expectations of how he would be healed of leprosy. He probably traveled a great distance to get there, and it was not as he had thought what Elijah did was send a servant out and say, just tell him to go wash in the Jordan seven times, he'll be made whole. Now, two things really troubled him. One, that the prophet didn't even come out to take time to speak with him. But number two, he would argue and say, we have much cleaner water in our own country than the Jordan River. Now, I've seen the Jordan River. I grew up just east of us over off of... Uh, in Winthrop Harbor, but uh, the last corner of our state, the northeast corner of our state, and so we're bordered by Wisconsin, we're bordered by Lake Michigan, and there was creeks running right by my house going down to Lake Michigan. And the creek was muddy, it was dirty, I played in it all the time, it was a blast. <laughs> but when I got to Israel and saw the Jordan River, it was muddy, it was dirty, and I thought, you wanna get baptized in this? It did not look like a clean river. So I kind of understand um, Naaman as far as the Jordan is concerned. Because when we went there, it was at dusk. And that's when we showed up for the baptismal. And there were big catfish, catfish flipping around in the water by us. Um, it, was, it was the Jordan. So we all did it. You wonder what that little vial of water is up there. It looks clean there. That came from the Jordan when we were in Israel, but 
It did not look clean when we were there. So he said, he named two rivers in Damascus that are much better. But it was Naaman's servant that said, if he told you to do something great, you would have done it. He was a warrior, and no doubt if he would have gave him a warrior's challenge, he would have willingly done it. You have to go slay the seven-headed dragon and bring back one of its teeth or a tooth from every head, and then you'll be made whole. He would have gladly went up for the challenge. But the servant said, My father, this Second Kings 5.13, If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, Wash and be clean? And so he went down, verse 14, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So I believe that obedience to Jesus's command in this situation, go to the pool of Siloam and you'll be made clean, was necessary for him to walk in faith. So a man called Jesus, verses 8 through 12, Therefore the neighbors of those who had previously seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man, named, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes. And said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So the formerly blind man, having sight caused quite a stir. And I think I understand that really kind of humorous verse. This is he. He is like him. I am he. Is it not he? And I think I understand that because this man, no doubt, had been sitting and begging his whole life. And people were accustomed to seeing him, but many people didn't truly see him. You know how it is these days. You're in Gurney, and you may see people at the traffic lights with signs held up, but maybe you don't make eye contact. You don't really see them. You don't want to make eye contact. And it could be some of that playing in here. Maybe those who had actually helped him knew him. This is he. Others who had walked by him and he was, seemed familiar, but they had never really made contact with him. They're thinking, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same guy. Of course, the man himself said, I am he. I found it interesting in his testimony, he did not say that Jesus spit on the ground, made clay. He left the spit side out. <laughs> I don't know. It's like this may be too much for them, so we'll just leave that part out. He made clay, told me to go wash. I washed and I received my sight. Hebrews 13:16 tells us, do not forget to do good and share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So I think it's important for us to be able to help and meet the needs of others. In fact, 
On Wednesday night, I talked about what's coming up in Deuteronomy for our study, and I titled it, um, I forgot what I titled it, something to do with the hands, but there's a portion in there where it says, hands wide open, and that is referring to helping the needs of others. When you help others, make sure your hand is wide open. And that's one of the hands references from our upcoming study on Wednesday evening, to have hands wide open. And although the man had not seen Jesus, this is what's important to me. He had not seen Jesus, but he was able to testify of what Jesus had done for him. He told the portion of his story, his interaction with Jesus. He told what he knew of how Jesus saved him and gave him sight. And I believe that this is something that we can do. We can tell our story of how Jesus has saved us. In Psalm 105.1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. And though we have not seen Jesus, we each have a story to tell. So the formerly blind man John 9, 13 through 34, we look at verses 13 and 17, through 17 first, the Sabbath day healing. Now we get a little more detail about the day on which Jesus chose to heal this man. So 13 through 17, and they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisee also asked him again, how he had received his sight. And he said to him, he put clay on my eyes and said, wash, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was much division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he is a prophet. So no doubt, this man who had been born blind, that had been sitting there for years, begging alms from the people, he being able to see, he being able to walk about, to jump about, to be excited, people gathering around him, asking what happened. It was big news in Jerusalem, so much so that the religious rulers heard about it, had the man brought to them. And Jewish tradition had developed, we learn, that the healing took place on a Sabbath day. And tradition had developed these laws concerning the Sabbath day. God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And goes on to explain that you do no work on the Sabbath day. And so the rabbis were asked questions. What does it mean you're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath day? So they came up with these Sabbath day rules. If you go to Jerusalem today, you go to the uh, cities, there are telephone poles that surround the city with a single wire on top of the pole. And that is deemed a Sabbath day journey. So they're telling people in the city, as long as you're walking within the wire of that city, you're not breaking the Sabbath. But if you cross that telephone pole where the wire is, you cross that line, you have walked too far. No longer have you walked uh, a Sabbath day's journey, but you've went too far. 
and they have their rules. You're in the hotel rooms on the Sabbath. One elevator runs at all times. It stops at every floor. If you're from America and you're not worried about uh, keeping those Sabbath day laws, make sure you don't get on that elevator because you're going to stop at every floor. The reason they do this is because to spark a fire is considered work. So they just turn the elevator on. You don't push the button that sparks, ignites the electricity to make the elevator work. It just functions all day long. So they have the Sabbath day traditions. They have ways to get around the traditions. I didn't touch the elevator button. I just stepped in. It did what it was going to do. Then I stepped off. They had these laws and making clay and healing someone were both prohibited on the Sabbath day. So it's not that he made very much clay to anoint his eyes, but even healing someone, if you were injured on the Sabbath, they could only bring you comfort. When the Sabbath was older, over, they could start to do works of healing. So if you had a bad injury, tough luck, and pray that you're going to make it through the Sabbath because they could only bring you comfort. Like if you broke a bone, they could put cool water on your broken bone. They couldn't set the bone until after the Sabbath. So you had to wait. Silly laws that developed, traditions that developed around the Sabbath. This man, we learned he was 38 years old and he'd sat there by the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5, this is a different man. For 38 years, he was a lame man who sat by the pool of Bethesda, and he was healed on the Sabbath. So this is the second Sabbath day healing. That in John chapter 5, we find the first one. Now we have one again in John chapter 9. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, Luke 6, 7, watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find accusation against him. They were looking for Jesus to do good works on the Sabbath. They knew the character of Jesus, that he liked to help people, even if it was on the Sabbath. In fact, I think with Jesus... He would especially go out of his way to just trouble the waters there with the religious rulers. Earlier, Jesus revealed, though, to the religious rulers that there was a technicality in the law. If you remember back in John 7, 23 through 24, Jesus saying, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because... I made a man completely well on the Sabbath. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So to fill that whole thing in, I only read two verses there from John 7. John showed, or Jesus showed a technicality in the law because you had to be circumcised on the eighth day for the guys. But what if the eighth day after your birth was on the Sabbath day. Usually, circumcision always won. They would do the work of circumcision in keeping the eighth day law while breaking the Sabbath day law. So he showed that they have their own um, a technicality in the law. 
He said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Yet the religious rulers, six times they would contend with Jesus about breaking the Sabbath. They made their man-made traditions and put them above the acts of healing on the Sabbath day. In fact, they said it was unlawful. And Jesus said in Mark 7, 9, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And being divided over Jesus, the Pharisees asked the formerly blind man, What do you say about him? Now notice this. The man said, He is a prophet of God. See, I believe the man's faith is growing. Maybe he had heard Jesus before. Maybe he had heard of Jesus before. But now he had had um, an interaction with Jesus. Now he physically could see, although he had never physically seen Jesus up to this point. But considering what the Lord had done for him, now he says, he is a prophet. The woman at the well also said in John 4:19, I perceive that you are a prophet. In John 6:14, after the feeding of the 5,000, the people said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, recognizing Jesus as a prophet speaks about him being a man of God. There at the feeding of the 5,000, recognizing Jesus as the prophet connected him with one of the Mosaic prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. Where in Deuteronomy 18:15 and also verse 18, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. I will raise up to them a prophet like you from among their brethren. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now the blind man, no longer blind, his faith is growing. In fact, he's found himself in a situation where he's suddenly in front of the religious rulers. He'd probably never been in that situation before. But they're questioning him about what he thought about Jesus. And as he considered it, he said, he's a prophet. As challenges came against him, the faith of this formerly blind man began to grow. And realizing that there was something special about Jesus, the formerly blind man, he called him a prophet. And being a prophet, it connects Jesus to being a man of God, but being the prophet, it connects him with the Mosaic prophecies. But that wasn't enough. They called the man's parents now, verses 18 through 23. Again, we read for the context. But the Jews did not believe him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight, and they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already, if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, 
His parents said, he is of age, ask him. You've been blind your whole life. Suddenly you're touched by a man named Jesus. You can see. Who do you think the first person or people you'd like to tell that you received your sight? Who would you go to find? Your parents. I believe they knew. They maybe didn't witness it. Perhaps they're innocent on that side. But I think by now they already knew the story behind his healing. But John tells us, that the Jews had already agreed if anyone recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they would be put out, they would be excommunicated from the community. And so this was what was behind them. And here's the thing. We'll discover that the formerly blind man would be put out. He had been touched by Jesus. He was willing to be excommunicated from the Jewish community a community really that he hadn't fully engaged with up to this point, but his parents were unwilling. So it's not just about being unable to worship in the community, but it would also mean that they would be shunned in the community. So it could speak about their livelihood, being able to sell, do business, and all the privileges that went along with the Jewish community there and their religion. So it was a big deal. They were holding this over the people. And people do that to this day. In our society, in the workplace, there's been more and more attack on faith and what we can wear, what we cannot wear in our schools, in our communities, what's deemed acceptable and what's not acceptable. I wear a lot of Christian T-shirts. I used to never wear them. In fact, I didn't care to wear them at all. I didn't want to wear them. I figured that if my life couldn't show that I was a Christian, I didn't need a T-shirt to tell others that I was. But then one day, there was a guy when I was a brick mason on the job that had a nasty T-shirt on. But it was written in such a way that it took me a whole day to figure out what the t-shirt meant. And when I finally figured out what it meant, it made me angry. So on the way home from work, I went to the Christian bookstore. (laughs) I bought my first Christian t-shirt, the Lord's Gym, bench press this, Jesus, remember that one? I was a brick mason, so I cut the neck a little bit, took the sleeves off, (laughs) went to work the very next day. And the guy who had angered me over his T-shirt liked my T-shirt. Oh, that's a cool shirt. Later, we talked about his T-shirt, and he goes, yeah, my mom got a hold of that and threw it away. So it was a bad T-shirt. I've been wearing them ever since. We grow in our faith in various ways. This man was challenged, and in our world today, we are being challenged, what we can wear, what we cannot wear. Politically, if you wear a red hat, what does that mean versus wearing a blue hat? Politically, we'll be shunned, maybe in certain areas, we'll be shunned uh, because of our faith as well. 
Sadly, the formerly blind man's parents were unwilling to confess Christ before the Pharisees, so they put it back on their son. But Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But he who denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. When it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we must either confess him or deny him. In fact, to not confess him means you denied him already. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God glory, for we know that this man is a sinner. So up, this, up to this point in the Gospel of John, the religious rulers, which means the chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, they had a progression of accusations against Jesus. In John 8.41, they said he is born of fornication. In John 8.48, they called him a Samaritan. In John 8.48 and also 52, they said he had a demon. And now in 9.24, they call him a sinner. So they were just progressing in the accusations against Jesus. And the man answered them, verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And whether our knowledge is small or great, like this man, he shared with him them the information that he had. He said, one thing I know, I was blind, now I see. It's like John Newton's favorite, uh, famous hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. This is the testimony. This I know. He shared the information that he had. And that's all that Jesus expects of us to do. Verses 26 and 27. And we go on. It says, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? And so now the formerly blind man is starting to put it back on them. And he says, I already told you. Did you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? You want to hear the story again? I'll share my story with you. Do you also want to believe? I gladly share. It reminded me when I was reading that of what lawyers like to do when they ask you the same question worded in a different way, trying to trip you up. They have an outcome that they want. And they know if they word it a certain way, us poor uneducated people won't figure it out. And we'll say yes when we mean no, or we'll say no when we mean not, yes, and they'll say, ah, we got you. It's kind of like politics and the voting booth, some referendum that they have, and they word it, and I always struggle with the referendums because I know they're not saying exactly what they want to say. They're wording it in such a way that they can get what they want out of the people while kind of pulling the wool over the people's eyes. Let your yes be yes, your no, no. Any more of this is from the evil one, Jesus said. 
So they reviled him, verse 28 and 29. You are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he is from. So unable to refute, refute this man's testimony, they ridiculed him for being a disciple of Jesus. But to be recognized as a follower of Jesus Christ should be the goal of any believer. You're a follower of Christ. Yeah, I am. Isaiah 51, 7, listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. The Jews had claimed, again in the Gospel of John, chapters 8 and 9, They've claimed we are Abraham's descendants, 833. Abraham is our father, 839. We have one father, God, 841. We are Moses' disciples now here in 928. They claimed a connection to Abraham, God, and Moses. But being spiritually blind, they were unable to recognize Jesus, of whom Abraham, Yahweh, and Moses foretold and spoke about. Jesus said to the religious rulers in John 5, 46 and 47, to the Jews, he said, If you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, you will, how will you believe my words? So this man said, One thing I know, and I've titled the whole passage on that one phrase, One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. What one thing do you know about Jesus that he impacted your life that you could share with others? And he went on. He's getting bold now. Verses 30 through 34, the man answered and said, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God hears him. Since the world began, it is an unheard of thing that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the formerly blind man now begins to preach to the religious rulers. Uh, one thing I know, that I was blind, now I see. And then he goes on to say, ha, one thing I know, he, he keeps adding on it. It's a marvelous thing that you do not know, but here's what I know. Now, the phrase, God does not hear sinners, that's not totally true. Because when you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a sinner in need of salvation. And he hears that prayer, answers that prayer, and saves you. So in that sense, not totally true, but here's the idea behind it. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He hears... And his ears are open to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. So, let's consider, you're in a room full of kids. And in that room full of kids, you have a child or two there. Now you hear all the kids, and you attend to their needs. If you're a teacher, you teach them all. But your ears are in tune to your children over and above the others. God created the whole world. We're all his children in the sense of we have come 
because of the created works of God, but the Lord's ears are in tune to his children. So his uniqueness of healing, he points out the only person since creation who'd been born blind now can see. So he reasoned if Jesus was not of God, he could do nothing. So the works of Jesus were are evident that he is indeed the Messiah. And they answered and said to him, verse 34, you're completely born in sense and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. So really unable to refute. I don't know why I can't say that today. Refute the man's testimony. They accused him of being born in sin and cast them out. So they're going back to that prenatal. You were born in sin. You were blind because you did something in your mother's womb that caused blindness to come upon you. And they excommunicated him. They did the same thing to Jesus in the sense of using that tactic of you can't beat the argument, so let's call names. You're a sinner. You're the devil. Uh, you're a Samaritan. And people do that to this day. They, they don't have an argument. So all they can do is call names at you. This is where they've come down to. But for us, consider the man. He didn't know everything about Jesus, but as he was confronted about the work that Jesus did in his life, his faith began to grow, and he became bold with the faith that he had. We may not know everything about Jesus, but we know enough to testify of him. In verses 35 through 41, to close out our passage, we begin, and this is dealing with belief or unbelief, in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when they had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And so the man answered Jesus and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and is he who is talking with you? And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. In Luke 19, 10, when Zacchaeus was saved, the word of God tells us, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And here we find Jesus seeking out this man. And how wonderful it is to see Jesus doing this very thing. He's seeking and saving the formerly blind man. He challenged him first. Do you believe in the son of God? And I have to believe that this man, though he had never seen Jesus before, I have to believe that he knew the voice of the one who spoke to him, anointed his eyes and said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam and you will be made whole. I believe he knew the voice, but now he got to look upon the face, a miracle in itself. John the Baptist said in John 1:34, I've seen and I testified that this is the son of God. In John 6, 69, it says, We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This man made his profession of faith. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, the word worship is found in the Gospel of John and other places, but it is never applied to someone bowing a knee to Jesus anywhere else in the Gospel of John. Uh, it the word itself, we find a picture of Martha falling at the feet of Jesus, Mary falling at the feet of Jesus, but it doesn't use the Greek word um, 
here that's connected with worship. It's a Greek word that speaks about to fall or to prostrate oneself before another. And as a climax to this man's story, having been born blind, now seen both physically and spiritually, his eyes were open. And like in Matthew 14:33, he said, truly, you are the son of God. And Jesus went on to say, verses 39 through 41 to finish out our chapter for judgment i've come into this world that those who do not see may see that those who see may be made blind then some of the pharisees who were with him heard these words and they said are we also blind and jesus said to them if you were blind you would have no sin but now you say we see therefore your sin remains So Jesus came not only to give physical sight, but spiritual sight. And there are those who believe that they have physical sight. Our president, I'm not one, I'm not, I hate to get political, but I'm going to do it right now. Since 1970, they've been talking about the world coming to an end every 10 years it seems like in 10 years if we don't change this we're going to die it's all going to be over the sky is falling it's all done in 10 years in 10 years in 10 years yesterday the president in florida with a hurricane that let's see does florida get hurricanes ever how often does that happen every year pretty much and yet surveying the damage of the latest hurricane in florida he said something like at this point anyone with intellect cannot deny that there is not a climate crisis so i'm a denier i do not have intellect (laughs) there are people with a lot of knowledge but lack wisdom what to do with the knowledge that they have And there are people who don't have that big intellect, but they have wisdom to know what to do with the information that they've been given. We've watched the progression of this with this formerly blind man. He went from being totally physically blind to physically seen, but also spiritually seen. And those religious rulers who were physically had sight Jesus said, you are spiritually blind, your sin remains. 2 Corinthians 4.4, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Satan is working to blind the eyes of people spiritually that they cannot see. The Pharisees asked, are you also blind? And Jesus said, you are and your sin remains because of it and sadly the religious rulers having enough truth to make a choice about jesus failed to act upon that truth therefore they remained in their sin and this can be true of many in our day they have enough information but they fail to act upon act upon the information that they've received in romans 2 verses 12 and 13 the last two verses of scripture i'll read today as many have as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of god but the doers of the law will be justified we each have a choice to make to either believe or not to believe in jesus and what choice 
have you made? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for this chapter in the Bible, for the Apostle John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to take so much time to show us everything that took place uh, in this account, from the healing of the blind man to um, the challenge that he had with the religious rulers, their interaction with the blind man's parents, to the blind man not only having physical sight, but coming to that place of spiritual sight watching his faith grow from believing that Jesus was a good man to a prophet to the son of the living God. Help us have such boldness to share the faith that you've given us. We may not know everything, but we have enough that we can share with others. And I pray, Lord, if there are some who don't know you as Savior, that they would come to that acknowledgement this day, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. I do pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.